Would you stand with me, please, this morning, just a moment as we open our key text from the Gospel of Mark. It's found in Mark chapter 10. Excited about this service today, presence of the Lord here. We're going to be baptizing at the end of this service this morning, receiving believer's baptism. Uh, let's open our hearts together and read just this one verse, and then I'm going to let you be seated as I read the lengthy passage today. Let's go. Here we go. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Spirit of God, You are here. We thank You for Your presence that refreshes, that challenges, that heals, that encourages, that convicts, that corrects. You guard and guide, You hide, and You give us a place to abide. And Lord, we thank You for this your presence in this holy place this morning. Thank you that it's holy because you're here. Touch our hearts, change our lives, lead us by your Holy Spirit. We'll be careful to give you the praise. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said, Amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. I want to say today, the title of the message is called The Risk of Faith. I heard a pastor say one time, someone asked him, How do you spell faith? And God had been dealing with him, and he said, I spell faith R-I-S-K. There is a risk anytime you step out of what we call the known realm into an arena of the unknown. That's something that really should be common to us as believers. The Bible says, as one pastor said a long time ago, growing up in church, I heard the, the guy say that God's phone number is Jeremiah 33.3. It says, call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. And so if by virtue of the fact that God is going to show us we something, we, something we don't know, then we have to be open to seeing things that we've never seen before. We have to be aware that God is going to do something outside of our own personal comfort zone, outside of our uh, knowledge of expertise, outside of our arena uh, of, of life experiences. Call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you don't know about. I, I think that it's interesting as I've been a student of church history for about 30 years. I've been fascinated at the moves of God, at the events that take place in nations and how God will raise up one man or one woman or have somebody behind the scene praying and seeking the face of the Lord and, and seeds of revival are planted in one generation and sometimes don't come up until the next one. But when you look at it historically, over 20 centuries of the spread of Christendom, the gospel is typically most open, people are the most open to it in areas of disenfranchisement, when, where people are poor, where they're in need. It's an amazing principle, but desperation creates room for faith to operate. When I'm desperate enough for God that I'm willing to take a risk and step out of my personal comfort zone and do something that I might have never done before, something that maybe natural wisdom might attempt to defy. We're going to tell two stories this morning that are woven together in Mark chapter 5. And I, I think that it's so critical that we find ourselves, even here in an impoverished area of the richest nation on the planet, we're sitting here and most everybody in the room is pretty blessed. Uh, we, we, we don't classify folks by socioeconomic status, but, 
But, but I, I really think that probably largely our congregation enjoys a certain level of financial blessing and success, maybe what we might call uh, a, a middle-class lifestyle. And that, that is not in any kind of way uh, in an attempt to uh, slot ourselves or look down on anybody or look up to anybody else. I'm just saying we are very, very blessed in this city, in this church. Somebody say amen. And I think sometimes in the middle of all of our blessing, it's, it's, it's easy to get disconnected from a sense of desperation. Desperation creates a room for faith. It, it, it moves us out of our comfort zone. A friend of mine pastored a church that really became very successful over in another major city in another state. And, and the pastor and his wife, after literally probably 30 years in the ministry, moved into sort of what would be their final home. And it was a great demonstration of the success that the church had reached thousands of people and they were well paid and, and they moved into a beautiful house on a golf course and husband loved to play golf, pastoring this growing church in this major city and uh, personal friends of mine that I've known for years and years and they really had labored hard and, and I don't in any kind of way did I, uh, was I ever jealous or did I look down on it or think that they were living out beyond their means because God had just really favored them highly in a great and a wonderful way. But the wife was looking at a magazine that was a collection of things that were sitting on the coffee table. Her husband was a big, avid golfer, and she looked at this, and she saw spreading palatial homes, even much bigger than what they were living in. And she said to her husband, she said, what, what, how can you take the gospel to these people? Because they don't need anything. Now, if you'll think about it, the gospel is usually the most open in areas where people are in need. That's the reason the greatest revivals that are taking place around the world right now, 25,000 people are being born again, baptized in the Holy Spirit in South America in one of the southern hemisphere nations of the continent of South America on a daily basis. That's how much revival is going on in the continent south of us. China, that in 1949, in the People's Revolution, when they shifted toward a communist state and Chiang Kai-shek went out of power and the Communist Party came into power, then the whole situation changed in terms of uh, the government. And there was less than 1% of confessing Christians in the population. Now there's over 10% in a nation of over a billion people, a hundred million of them are underground laying their life on the line, people that are covering this morning, in, whenever it's Sunday in there, they're gathering in little underground hovels in local churches that are, that are many times pastored by women because the men are in prison and they're guarding two pages from the, from the book of Colossians and maybe one page from the Gospel of John and they're reading over those passages and they're weeping and crying out to God, asking God to send revival and God is sending great revival to China behind the bamboo curtain of communism. And it's amazing how when people in need are in a place of desperation and they cry out to God and they take a risk of faith and they step out beyond their comfort zone and God meets them every time. So how do I bring that to a congregation of people that are very blessed? A lot of business owners in our church, small businesses, blessed in the middle of a bad economy. Folks are making it, not just making it, but are succeeding. And we are grateful, we are thankful. But how in the middle of all of the blessing can we stay in a place of desperation where God can give us some faith that will move mountains like we sang in the song this morning. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. My brother, black brother Kevin Singleton wrote the words to this song in the 90s and he fashioned it kind of out of a Pointer Sisters kind of a flavor. And he said, faith is the weapon, that mighty weapon that moves the mountain if you will only believe. Everybody say believe. 
Those are words you're going to hear in this text as I read from you from Mark 5 this morning. And I'm going to sit down. I'm going to go old school. So just follow along. You don't have to read out loud. But listen as I read from Mark 5, verse 21 through 43. So it's got two stories that are weaving together here. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. I love those words, talking about Jesus. And he went with him. Say that with me. Here we go. And he went with him. So Jairus has got the attention of Jesus, and he's gotten Jesus to agree to go to his house. We're talking about a mighty man that everybody's coming out in crowds to see. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Old English word which means there ain't no standing room. It's, it's tight. It's Mud Island on July 4th at 10 o'clock. It's traffic ain't moving for two hours, baby. It's serious tight. That's how tight it was, Okay. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Everybody say 12 years. Who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? I, I mean, Peter looked at him, he said, dude, what, what you talking about? Now, that's in between the lines. You kind of have to, you have, to be a, you have to be prophetic to see that part. <laughs> who touched me? What you talking about? And he looked around to see who had done it, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Everybody say the whole truth. I love it. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. Remember, faith is the mighty weapon that will move the mountain if you just, everybody say believe. Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. So he clears out the crowd when he goes in the house. Little girl is dead. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making commotion and weeping? The child is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. They scorned Jesus. And he put them all outside. In other words, he cleared the room. Get them out now. But he put them all outside and he took the child's father and mother, Jairus and his wife, and those who were with him, which are what? Peter, James, and John. These three faith men, okay? Everybody else got to go. 
mother, father, Peter, James, and John, those that were with him, and they went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumai, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. Little girl, get up, is what Jesus said, in other words. Okay? And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. Everybody say 12 years. She was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement, and he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. Father, bless the reading of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. All of God's people said, Amen. Jesus has just come out of some amazing power demonstration. You remember what's happened. He has just brought the disciples across the boat in the middle of a storm. And he stands up after having been awakened, asleep in the stern of the ship, and the disciples are very concerned about their lives. And he gets up and he asks them, where's your faith? He points with his hand at the, the, where he feels the direction of the wind is coming from, and he says, peace be still. And they're amazed that the wind and the sea obey him. And so Jesus demonstrates immediately that he has authority in the natural realm. He has power over the natural realm by calming the wind and the waves. And he leaves that, you remember as, as chapter 4 closes, and he gets out and he puts his foot on the dock on the other side of the Sea of Galilee in that boat trip across because he's back and forth constantly. The, it's being spread abroad, noised abroad, the King James says, about the amazing feats of this teacher who doesn't just talk with words, but he demonstrates the kingdom of God with power. He's got something to say, and when he says it, things change. And so crowds are showing up to hear what he's got to say. And so Jesus brings the disciples across the windy, wavy sea in the middle of a storm, calms the storm. They just conclude the boat ride after an amazing thing where it just jars them, rattles them, grows their faith. And as soon as Jesus comes out of the boat, puts his foot on the dock, he enters a spiritual storm. Because you remember last week's message, there's a crazy man leaving the tombs who is filled with a legion of demons. You remember the story. We're not going to go back and re-preach it. But Jesus basically commands the demons to leave the man who is cutting himself. He's naked. He can't be restrained. No chains, no ropes will hold him. The scripture says no man could tame him. So he's uncontrollable. There, there's an indescribable force that is literally surrounding him and it's death and destruction. He's living among the tombs in a cemetery and it's just everything black and dark and dank and it's, there's 2,000 pigs out there, so it smells like a pig farm. There's death all over the place. Jesus speaks to the man, commands the demons to leave. They enter every one of those pigs. The pigs are crazed. They run down the steep hill, fall into the sea, and they drown. They see the man sitting in his right mind, fully clothed. And Jesus tells him, the end of last week's message, go back to your hometown where everybody knows you and tell them what the Lord's done for you. Look what the Lord has done. He healed my body. He touched my mind. He saved me just in time. I'm going to praise His name. That's the old gospel song that we sing that comes from Mark chapter 5, the first section about the healing of the demoniac. A dude who doesn't just have a couple of devils, he has a couple of thousand devils inside of him. He's uncontrollable. So Jesus demonstrates His authority over the natural realm by calming the winds and the waves. He demonstrates His authority over the supernatural realm by commanding the demons to leave the man, which is the creation of God, and they end up being destroyed. So we, we come to this story that it weaves two 
two stories. A disenfranchised, sick, poor woman who's in a place of personal desperation. And there is the story set alongside it uh, of a religious ruler who is a place, has a place of prominence in the community. Jairus is a synagogue leader. He's a ruler in the synagogue. So if we were to have him come visit us this morning, he would be seated in a place of prominence in order to honor him. It would be like bringing in a dignitary here from one of our two cities, from Marion or West Memphis, and we acknowledge their presence. Our, our dignitary today would be Amber Troxler. She's our guest. We thank the Lord for the presence of God she brought with her in that amazing song she sang, Holy Spirit. Give, give her a hand. Thank you, Amber. Jairus is a man of means. He's seen some success. His family is associated with leadership. He's leader in the synagogue. So when he comes on the scene, Jesus really is not a person of favoritism or any kind of way or a respecter of persons, but Jesus definitely is a respecter of faith. He notices faith. And this guy is a man of prominence, and he comes to Jesus, quickly tells Jesus the story about his little 12-year-old daughter who is sick at home in the bed. And this is what starts to happen. They've, ha they've taken another boat trip back across the lake. Next slide, if you would, please. And, and out of the crowd comes this important Jewish leader with a request. That's Jairus, the story that I'm beginning to weave now in this message. Jairus' daughter is at the point of death. She's lying at home, and Jesus agrees to go with him and to lay hands on her for healing. So you've got to know. I can only imagine Jairus is thinking, man, I have Jesus' attention and I have his agreement. I've, I've, I've had him stop long enough, this great teacher. And by the way, all the religious leaders really don't know yet what to do with Jesus. There's whispering of him possibly being Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus, Joshua the Savior, Jesus the Messiah. There's, that is moving in and out of the crowd. People are talking, is this possibly the God-man for which we've been looking the longing for thousands of years, one who would come and would fulfill all the prophecies of the Old Testament. And they, they're still in the Old Testament at this point. So it's not a matter of having realized that the new has already begun to walk among them. The mediator, the leader of the new covenant, Jesus Christ. And so things are obviously on edge. People are excited. I can only imagine how excited Jairus is because he got Jesus' attention and he also got his agreement to go home to his house. Okay, it's one thing to have a dignitary visit. It's something else to get that dignitary for you to walk in. He has a mission. The, 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 this, this teacher who is visiting, who is preaching, who is not just one that with his filled with a bunch of words or religious principles, but he has the ability to back it up with action, with circumstances that change, with miracles that take place. And for Jairus to think that he has the, the clout or the power, or the wherewithal whatsoever to even get Jesus' attention, much less take him home, he has to be pretty excited. Because everybody's heard about what the, the feats of miracles that this, this Jesus guy does. I mean, everywhere he shows up, the, the weather obeys him. The, 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 the demons have to bow before him and say, what do we have to do with you? You're the Son of God. They've heard all the stories. Blind eyes have been opened by now. Deaf ears have been unstopped. Dead people have been raised up. Thousands of people in the crowd and Jesus makes history by throwing the biggest fish and chips day that's ever happened before. He takes a little boy's lunch, a little happy meal with five tiny sardines and a couple of little loaves of bread. And I'm sorry, I turned it around. Five loaves and two fish. It was testing you to see if you were really, really listening. 
Jesus takes that and he breaks the head off of one and the tail grows a new head and the head grows a new tail and he just keeps breaking and blessing and breaking and blessing and before you know it, a crowd of 5,000 men, women and children weren't counted in that day and 5,000, probably 20,000 people out there get fed with a little boy's lunch. It's amazing how little becomes much when you put it in the master's hand. Come on, somebody. I want to jump ahead. That actually happens in chapter 6. But it's great, great, great stories of the gospel in what, what's happening here. And, and so Jairus is excited. He's, he, he's a man of means and he's got Jesus' attention and he's got Jesus' agreement. They're on the way walking. They're trying their best to be able to maneuver through this elbow-to-elbow, neck-to-neck, back-to-back crowd it's like I said out here at Mud Island the night of the fireworks and there's no movement and they're just trying to press through. And in the middle of this, they're on the way to Jairus' house and there's this interruption. They're interrupted by this, another story that just all of a sudden comes in and, and, and just puts an exclamation point and a, and a pause sign saying stop on the Jairus story. And we've got a story that is so dramatic and is so heartbreaking when you see and you hear about this little woman who had a condition for 12 years. Everybody say 12 years. I don't want to be crass. We're in mixed company. But this discharge of blood was an aberrant menstrual cycle that wouldn't stop. We men can't relate to that. I mean, you think about being cut and bleeding just continuously for 12 years. The ladies in the room can relate and you can imagine the anemic condition this woman probably was in from having bled 12 years. She, she's low of iron, she's pale, she's extremely weak. I, I can see a little woman that's probably f- definitely frail when you look at her and you describe the way she, her appearance. Some little 90 pound, barely making it. Look in her eyes and you see almost a hopelessness, a forlorn look, a a, a dismay, a a rejected kind of a thing because she literally was taking her life into her own hands. Doctors couldn't help her, but they had definitely taken her money. Can you imagine what she went through after time after time, probably a few of them being some quacks that, you know, she'd probably watched on a late-night infomercial that if you'd take this for 30 days... I mean, can you imagine what she's tried to do to get her body healed, to rid her of the pain, to get her strength back? And the scripture says none of them could help her, yet she had spent all of her money. And she'd spent all of her money, but yet she had grown worse. Can you imagine every time the circumstance happens, she gets her hopes up. There's a new prognosis. There's a new means of treatment. We're going to take this herb. We're going to do this for two weeks. We're going to try this for 30 days. Every time her hopes come up only to be dashed to the ground again and she ends up being weaker than she was because there's never been a stop in the constant flow of blood. She can't eat enough meat to stay healthy, keep enough iron in her blood because she's bleeding profusely. Now, the Levitical law of Moses, according to the ceremonial law, says that this woman shouldn't even be in public and if she's captured, if it's recognized the condition she has, then she could be stoned because she is unclean. Ceremonially, during the time of a woman's period, she was to be in and not out among the people. She would have to cleanse herself, ritual bathing, and then represent herself into public. She was not to be out in public. This, but this woman has had this for 12 years. Can you imagine 
every time she goes out in public, then she has to cry unclean before people. She's got to go out and buy groceries. There's nothing said of her family. We don't know if she lives alone, but she's doing what it, what it takes to keep a house, to try to cook for herself. Maybe some family members, we don't know. Whatever help she had, it sounds like this woman had it by herself. She's desperate. She's taking her life into her own hands. And this is what I want you to see this morning. Her own life was at risk being in public and in a crowd. But this is what real faith does. Back up one slide. I think real faith will move you out of your comfort zone. Say that with me. Real faith will move me out of my comfort zone. And I don't see a woman who is able to strong handle men in this crowd. I see a woman who is who is at her last ounce of energy in a place of indescribable desperation, who sees a crazy crowd thronging Jesus, but she knows that having had her hopes dashed over and over and over by doctors and spending every cent that she has, that she can no longer rely on anything that has to do with a natural man, but she needs a God-man to touch her life. And she's heard about Jesus She's tried to press through the crowd, but she's a little 90-pound, weak, frail, anemic woman. But something moves her. There's a, 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 an exertion of courage and, a, and, and an injection of faith that begins to arise in her heart. And, and she starts to think, you know, I'm going to take my life in my own hands and I'm going to press beyond my physical limitations and I'm going to get out here and do everything that I can beyond my own ability. If I can just touch the hem of his garment, then I will be well. She spoke faith into the atmosphere with her mouth when she said, if I can just touch his garments, then I will be well. And I believe that she got acquainted that day with people not from the face down, but I think she saw folks from the leg down. I think she had to maneuver her little tiny skinny body in between some hairy-legged men out there standing in that crowd until finally she reached out and she said, that's his garment because nobody else wears one like that. And she took hold of the hem of that garment and as soon as she did, something moved up, something surged up into her arm and began to course into her body. And the Bible says that she felt in her body as if her disease had been healed. And in that moment in time... I believe this is what happened. She had declared by her words, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And this is what took place. Literally, her faith made a demand on Jesus. Next slide. Her faith made a demand on Jesus' power. And the Greek word there is dunamis. We get the idea of dynamite or a dynamo that produces power. Her desperation made room for faith and her faith made a demand on the promise of God and the power that was in Jesus. And Jesus is being pressed from every side and he stepped back and he said, who touched my clothes? And the disciples said, dude, you, are, you, are you crazy? We can't breathe up in here. There's, there's so much B.O. from all these nasty men standing around us. What are you talking about? Some, everybody's thronging you from every side. Jesus said, no, guys, you, just like you always do, you always get it wrong. You, I ask a, a question and you interpret it naturally. I'm telling you, I'm not talking about a natural touch. I'm talking about somebody reached in and touched my garments and it made a withdrawal of the power of God in my physical body, he said. I could feel it surge. I felt virtue, the King James says, flow out through me. The little woman trembles and she stands up and she tells 
her story. And this is what Jesus said. Jesus, in this moment, next slide, Jesus has power over disease. Say that with me. Jesus has power over disease. And in that moment, he said to the lady, he said, you know what, daughter, your faith has made, your, made you well. Go in peace. No matter what you are facing in this room this morning, and there's some of you who are dealing with things that every bit could be on the same level as what this woman is dealing with. It's a scenario that is not stopped. It may be financial. It may be relational. It may be spiritual. I can't define it for you, but there's a thing that's been ongoing and you've struggled with. It can be a sin pattern. It can be an addictive pattern of behavior. It can be a situation that is just not changed. There may not be sin involved. It just may be some circumstance that you've prayed over and you've not been able to get victory. I just want you to see that Jesus has power over disease. And he looked at the woman and he said, Your faith, that same faith that was created, the room was made by a place of desperation. That faith made a withdrawal. It made a demand on the power of Jesus. He said, Your faith has made you well. Now go in peace. Old covenant idea of shalom. Everybody say shalom. Shalom is this idea of the wholeness of God, the peace of God. We come broken. We leave put together. We come sinners and we leave saints. And all of this is not because of anything we do, but it's because of having been touched by the presence of Jesus Christ. His power. He changes our lives. He transforms us. We may be blind and then we see. We may be deaf and then we hear. We certainly have been spiritually dead and now we've been raised to newness of life. Come on, come on, give give the Lord some praise. Amen. I love it. She stands up and she tells her story. She said, I knew that I knew that I knew that if I just would touch the hem of his garment that I would be made well. And I want you to hearken back with me for just a moment to a picture of the Old Testament. 2,000 years prior when we have a natural covenant given by Moses who is the mediator of the Old Covenant. He meets God in the Mount Sinai and the finger of God himself writes the law of God on tablets of stone and puts it in the hands of Moses and Moses brings it down the mountain to deliver it to the people. It's a natural law written on natural stone. To a natural people, everything in the Old Covenant is a natural picture. It's a symbol of something that is coming that will be fulfilled in the New Testament in a spiritual fulfillment. It was a natural people. They were determined by their natural birth. They worshipped with natural sacrifices. The blood of bulls and goats and doves and sheep were slain as a sacrifice to only cover the sin. It didn't obliterate it and deal with it and totally cast it far from you the way the Bible says the New Testament blood of Jesus does. It was a natural sacrifice which is now fulfilled in the spiritual sacrifice of Jesus Christ who took the Lamb of God, who became the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. They had a natural priesthood determined by natural birth. Ours is a spiritual priesthood determined by spiritual new birth. I'm looking at a whole room full of kings and priests. Some of you are going, what? That's what the Bible says. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a chosen generation, a peculiar people. God's brought you out of darkness into His marvelous light so that you should show forth the praises of Him. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together and give Him praise. You've been delivered. You've been set free. The natural law of the Old Covenant was written on stone. The the same law of God, which is the character of God, is now written on fleshly tables of your heart when you were born again filled with the Holy Spirit. 
2,000 years back, we looked prior to this very time, which was 2,000 years from us now. So we're talking 4,000 years ago. Moses comes down on the, off the mountain with a pattern that God shows him, the architectural design for the whole tabernacle, the furniture that's to be built, the way the priests are supposed to operate, the clothes that they're supposed to wear. He literally comes down off the mountain with the whole kit and caboodle, as they say, He's got the whole picture, the design of the clothes, the priest's garments. And what I want you to see this morning is I believe that woman was a faithful Jewess. She recognized that the high priest of the Old Covenant wore special clothing. He wore special garments. And around the hem of the high priest, there was a fringe, a border. At the hem of the garment of the great high priest in the Old Covenant, and there was a bell and a pomegranate and a bell and a pomegranate and a bell and a pomegranate, and the bells would jingle so that when the high priest went into the presence of God so that they would know that he was still alive and hadn't died in there, he went in with a rope attached to one of his legs because if he died in there, they had to drag him out because nobody else could go into the presence of the Lord and live. High priest would go in there and offer blood sacrifice for himself and then for the sins of the nation, the covenant people of Israel. He would stand beyond the veil in the most holy place in the tabernacle of Moses before the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth. Remember, you saw it in Raiders of the Lost Ark. when Those crazy Nazis pushed the lid back and it melted their faces off. That is a true depiction right there of what the ark looked like with the wings of the cherubim both facing in. One picturing the old covenant saints looking forward to the cross in the middle where the blood was shed. We as new covenant saints looking back to a sacrifice that has already been shed for us. That's why it's called good news because news is about something that's already happened. Are you with me this morning? High priest walks in and he's got a special hymn around the edge of his garment, a bell and a pomegranate, a bell and a pomegranate. The pomegranate's obvious. It speaks of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of those nine fruit of the Spirit that speak of the character and the nature of God, the very, the very person of who Jesus Christ is. But what do the bells represent? The bells represent the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the power, the dunamis, the, the ability of God to uh, be able to be able to deliver on His promise. There's a, there's a little tingling bell, a little jinkling bell that's sounding liberty, the liberty bell. And on the garment of the high priest, you see both the blend of the fruit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Jesus wasn't wearing a fancy fringe that day. But what was in the natural old covenant as a picture is now being fulfilled in this high priest that's standing before them and they don't even know he's the great high priest. So when the woman reached out to take hold of the hem of his garment, it wasn't just love and kindness, but it was power and healing. It was a gift of the Holy Spirit and not only a fruit of the Holy Spirit. How many of you know we need both? You go to some churches this morning and they'll emphasize one or the other. And I'm telling you at Victory, we preach and believe in both. I want to see you walk in love, in joy, in peace, in patience, in kindness, in goodness, in faithfulness, in gentleness, in self-control. But I also believe that God has some power tools in your toolbox. You know what? I, I was trying to trim some trees this week. And I'm sitting out there and I've got this big long extension thing and it's got a big hook tooth, teeth, uh, arc thing on it. And I'm... I'm and I'm just... Help me, Jesus... And you know, then I remember I've got a little chainsaw in there that all I need to do is just kind of put a little bit of gas oil mixture. And how many of you know when I use a power tool, I don't have to work so hard? 
power tool is, is, is a grace gift from God. It's something that God gives to make up for our weakness. No, 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 no. Here comes the limbs, man. They're coming down, baby. No more of this. Are you following me? So God wants to manifest His power and His nature in your life. The nature through the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The power through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So the woman reaches out and takes hold of the hem of Jesus' garment and power moves out of him and she gets healed. Now, this is two stories that are being woven together. Don't forget the first one that we just started on. She's standing up and celebrating. She's just had an injection of a six-pack of five-hour energy drinks have just been poured into this little old lady. <laughs> she's shouting, she's dancing, she's excited. She's had a trip on some... Holy Ghost Red Bull. She is, as my mama used to say, wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. And I don't know what that means. But she was alert. She's got some new energy. She's had a vitamin B shot. Boom! She's had a filet mignon. Her blood is not anemic any longer. It's stopped bleeding. She's healed. She's excited. She's praising God in the middle of all this celebration. Jairus is standing there going, we got to go, we got to go, we got to go. We got to go to my house because my baby girl is sick. Have you ever noticed in this story that you've got one old woman who's been sick 12 years and one little girl who's been alive the same amount of time that woman's been sick? A 12-year-old. I bet you've never seen that before, have you? Twelve in Scripture speaks of the government of God. There are twelve tribes of Israel. There are twelve apostles of the Lamb. It's the government of God. God governs disease. God governs death. God is, Jesus is Lord over the little woman's disease. Jesus is Lord over death and destruction. Jesus is Lord over the mess that you're in this morning. Come on, put your hands together and give me praise. they send a group with some bad news from Jairus' house and they basically say, don't trouble the teacher any longer. Your daughter is dead. I, I, I just, I can't even imagine. Like every other man in the room in here, I grew up and probably was more self-centered and, and selfish than I realized I was. And when I fell in love with my amazing wife, I started living my life for another and I, she helps me get healed of my selfishness. That's what marriage does. You, you, you no longer live for yourself, by yourself, for yourself. But something happens when the love of those two produces a seed and a little baby is born. And as soon as that little one comes into the world, what took you time to fall in love with your wife or your husband, it's as soon as the fruit of your loins is laid in your hands, you're overwhelmed with an immediate. It's like you love the kid from the beginning. You don't even know how that happened. And you no longer, there's the, the selfishness just begins to even more drain from your body and you, you live to protect and to guard and to guide and to provide and to do what good dads and good moms do. And Jairus was just a good dad. He was doing what everybody else would do, trying to get his baby girl some help. And he's a leader of the synagogue. He's a Jewish leader. And there have been some folks who've been talking about whether Jesus is even legitimate or not. I mean, he's got some healing ability. But man, in those days, it was no different than now. They were crazy TV evangelists how many times do you hear people ridicule somebody on television until they get the word from the doctor that they don't have any hope and it's amazing how folks will criticize and I'll leave out whatever names you want to think about 
And then I've known those same people who said, well, that's just an act. When they get desperate enough, it makes room for faith. And I've seen people go get in healing lines. Is it real? Well, I know people that have been healed. I'm not here to take up any time in my message to argue the legitimacy of that. I believe God still heals today. And I believe He can do it any kind of way He wants to. And I believe when you get desperate enough, you stop worrying about how it looks to anybody else. You're willing to take the risk and come out in the crowd even though you might get stoned. You're willing to go stop this new religious leader that even the people of your own faith community say, oh, I don't really know too much about this Jesus. Well, I don't care. I've heard that he, can, he has authority over disease and over death. J. Iris goes and gets Jesus and he's got him and he's on the way and then this little sick woman has to come up out of the crowd. I can imagine what he's thinking. Jesus, this lady is old. My baby is 12 years old. Yeah, the woman's been sick for 12 years but she's had her life. Now how can you let this happen? And they're spreading the news and immediately this is what Jesus said. Jesus showed Jairus that we walk by faith and not by sight by telling him not fear but believe. Everybody look at your neighbor and say don't fear. Believe. Believe. Faith is the mighty weapon that will move the mountain if you will only believe. It's easy to believe when the bottom line is hundreds of thousands of dollars in the black and everybody's healthy in the house and nobody's in trouble and the kids are good and they're making great grades at school. And Man, it's just so easy to talk faith all day long. But you let a couple of things fall out of the bottom of all of that. You let an economic crisis hit that affects the industry that you're working in that touches your pocketbook. You let a bad report from a doctor and some bad health touch a member of your family. And it's, I want to know, do you have faith then? Because that's when it's easiest. Rachel French said this to me after the last service, and I have to give her credit for it. She said, trying times are the worst time to stop trying. I love that. Say that with me. Trying times are the worst time to stop trying. That's when you've got to dig down into your toenails and find some faith that you've misplaced and haven't used in a while in your life. That's when you get desperate enough that you don't care what anybody else thinks, that you're, you're, you're not afraid to show up to go to church down there at the mall. Come on, somebody help me a little bit this morning when everybody else is in a great, beautiful building. You, you're not afraid, even though you might not have grown up and done this, but you sense when you show up here that there's some presence of the Lord in this place. There's some power in this place, and, and, and you've never done it before, but there's something in you that just wants you to raise your hands and begin to give God some praise. And when you do, you feel a new level of freedom that comes over you. My wife said this morning, why don't you take your extra shirt in case you preach one down? I said, no, I don't think I'm going to preach that much today, and I think she was right. Mm, something down inside of me telling me to go ahead. And in the middle of the bad news, Jesus looks at Jairus and says, don't listen to them, don't be afraid. This is what faith does. It doesn't ignore the bad report from the doctor or the quarterly report from the accountant or the demand to pay immediately from the IRS or the circumstance that you just heard Friday from the boss, or whatever, however many ways I can paint this, because there are people in this room that are facing stuff today that's indescribable. Two or three of you, I know about it. I've been praying for you. Others in the room, I don't know what you're facing, but you know what God does? It doesn't matter whether I know or not, because God knows. 
As Amber sang this morning, he is our living hope. He is our hope. When faith is on the line, you don't need to bring a crowd. It only brings confusion. Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh, nobody else goes this far. Peter, James, John, come on. Pete, Jim, John, come go with me. We're going to go to this man's house. Everybody else don't need the crowd. You know what the worst thing you can do sometimes when you're in the middle of a circumstance is is solicit a hundred people to pray for you, 90 of which may not even be walking in faith. They may be walking in unbelief. You need to get you a Pete, Jim, and John that you know they can pray and that's going to stand in faith with you. You know what? There's sometimes when you don't need a great big huge crowd. You just need the, the, the powerful majority of God and a couple of others. That is a majority. Somebody say amen. amen. So Jesus eliminated the crowd and the confusion that a crowd brings because Jesus is not interested in the majority opinions of men. He doesn't care. doesn't care what people think. doesn't care what anybody else says. Your circumstance, your marriage, your health, your finance, your children, your life, your destiny. God's got this thing. Doesn't care what anybody else says. Doesn't care what the judge just ruled last week. God's got this thing. Come on, somebody. Jesus, in this moment, takes them into the room, takes the mother and the father, takes Jairus and his wife, walk into the room. The people are wailing. Professional mourners are just doing a throwdown. He said, get out of here. She's not dead. She's asleep. Then they quit mourning immediately and start laughing him to scorn, the Bible says. Jesus says, get them out of here. They don't need all that confusion, that mess in this house. They go into the little girl's room. He says, little girl, get up. She gets up immediately and Jesus said, give her something to eat. She's been through it. She needs, she's hungry. Bottom line is the, of this is that Jesus Christ is Lord over the disease of the woman who had it for 12 years. And he's Lord over the death that tried to kill the little 12-year-old girl. I don't know the circumstance you face today, but I'm telling you right now that Jesus Christ does. And he's got the same him on his garment. And actually, it's not his garment that does anything. It's the power that's in his hand. It's the word that's in his mouth. Bow your hearts with me, please.